Welcome. This is Stan Lee of Marvel Comics warning you to look around you. Your classmates, your friends, you never know which one of them may be terrorist mutants who plan to destroy the human race. Mutants. I hate them. It has come to my attention that you have a mutant power. He's a mutant. A stinking mutant. He doesn't deserve to live on the same planet as normal, decent human beings. Get away from me, beast. Don't you remember what it was like when you first discovered you were a mutant? Magneto, Professor X. The X-Men. Welcome to my island. See the palm trees waving the wind. Welcome to my island. Hope you like me. The Loud Council finds themselves, after having wandered out of the Red Lagoon and through the portals just before they closed down, blasted across various parts of the universe and beyond. We find Kiwi in the Norse realms. Hi, I'm I'm having a nice time here with some giants, frost giants. Janos is on the outer rims of the Shi'ar galaxy. Hello, hello. I've been screaming into space about how stupid people's reactions about the Marvel news is, but no microphone picked it up, so. <laughs> Holly is in an unnamed desert that may or may not be the white, white hot room. <laughs> Theories differ. Um, I'm enjoying biblical references. And I am in Cable's sub-basement, sub-basement, sub-basement beneath the <laughs> X-Mansion. My name's Nick. Welcome to Hated and Feared. Uh, this is our second time recording the opening, so Everything give us some is fine. grace. Uh, and let's get into it. No, this uh, is good. We have already warmed up speaking. Yeah. We were just about to start talking about the new <laughs> yeah. issues. So it's like if it least... had happened like 15 minutes later, it would have been way more annoying. Yeah. 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 So, what's it? What's it like to room with Cable? <laughs> I bet. My, I bet he keeps everything very like clean and everything's in its place. Oh yeah, it's like militaristic. Yeah. Clean. <laughs> I feel like I should have recommended my favorite piece of X Men media earlier, which is the Hollywood Handbook episode Triumph at Comic Con. Uh, where they completely fall flat doing a doing a bit in front of a comic con audience who really doesn't doesn't know who they were and they're <laughs> so they're talking about these nineties X Men cards and they they try really hard like they, they there's a joke that falls incredibly flat flat about uh, Cable's son from the future being named Tyler and he hates his dad because he gave him such a weird name because in the future cable is a normal name and they kind of have to explain this whole joke to even get over it it's it's wonderful that's that sounds like a pretty good joke to me so this week uh or 
last week, uh, X-Men 25 was released, and in it, we... It's been 10 weeks post-gala. The X-Men are hiding in the Morlock tunnels while Orcus continues their propaganda efforts and deports or depowers all remaining mutants on Earth. After the gala, Kate murdered the Orcus agents in Jerusalem, and now, as the only one still able to use the gates, Shadowcat is leading the espionage-slash-assassination-slash-communications effort of the remaining mutants. There's some setup for Miss Marvel... And Children of the Vault and Uncanny Avengers. It's a good issue. I liked it. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of these issues were like pretty good to great. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. I think this is like this is the way we complained a lot about like Jerry Duggan's X Men not really having <laughs> a set like place or, you know, direction. So I feel like this is this is kind of the most like the the main X book has a sense of identity since like the Hickman times. Absolutely, it's 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 very it's very nice. It's it's good. Um, uh, I like I like the start where Kate has a little flashback. We get a little flashback to her talking to her rabbi in the early days of Krakoa. Uh, so it's just a it's just some good writing. It's another park park bench chat staple yeah. of the Krakoa era. <laughs> Krakoa's I got iconic park benches in it all throughout. Well, none of them are in Krakoa, but the Krakoan age. <laughs> oh yeah, you know the Krakoan benches look weird as hell. Yeah, I'm shocked we haven't seen any. It's it's a good like just a little chat between two people who clearly like know each other and are like Kate's Kate's going through some stuff and She's getting a, a bit of reassurance and like, um, and a, a nice chat basically, and then she goes ninja mode in the in yeah. the present day. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of getting like a one. This whole week or two week period has been like a a. There's a new status quo. We need to check in on each of the characters, and where are they at and kate takes center stage in this issue in a in a great way we get shot back to um her initial wolverine and uh kitty pride um mini series where her her mind is taken over by wolverine samurai teacher ogun um ogun i don't know how to pronounce it exactly i think it's maybe a fake japanese word anyways so i don't i'm not sure it matters um <laughs> I mean, it's like Shogun without the yeah, first yeah, letter. without the sh. Um, and, but then we get like we get to check in and see what the fuck is up with Scott, and we get to check in and see like what the fuck is up with Forge. He gets like a page. What yeah, the what fuck the fuck is, fuck up, is with up with Scott is not great for him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do we do we want to do we want to talk? Scott's situation because I think that also we can we can talk about the Orcus stuff and yes. like Scott's situation yes, and the Orcus stuff absolutely. is the uh, the what most I... like grim and dark that this issue yeah. gets. I mean, what I like about the Scott situation and it helps that uh, Stefano Caselli's art is so great is oh, that it brilliant. really sets up like Doctor Stasis as like just a huge bastard 
<laughs> yeah. He's making the worst, like, nasty jokes. Yeah. He's just the whole time. And also, yeah. uh, Cyclops' Prisoner 10, Prisoner X. Yeah. Which they, they just, they can't help themselves. Every chance they get. <laughs> His eyes so, are sawn shut. Yes. So, Cyclops has his back broken um I, I believe that happened when he falls out of the treehouse which like on its own sounds like a silly sentence but in this context the treehouse is like the it's not just a treehouse it's it's the the x-men's new york base yeah it's a skyscraper um, treehouse it's, it's the, a skyscraper treehouse uh, and so, so that breaks a, his back <laughs> and then presumably they've kidnapped him from hospital uh, or, or maybe the hospital gave him over something like that, and he's now. Um, it was Doctor Stasis in the ambulance with him the whole time. <laughs> that would be good. Like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, and now he's shackled to a big X table. He's had his eyes sewn shut, um, and he's been attached to a uh, a device that. Anytime we want, you can be yanked at great speed into a hole the size of a baseball. Which yeah, is... I don't really understand what he <laughs> means by that. But it's... it sounds pretty nasty. Yeah, it sure sounds painful. It's uh, That's the part of this I get the least. But, you know, he's in a bad situation. He's being held captive by supervillains. Um... And and Doctor Stasis is being a real bastard about it. It's it's pretty good. Um, he he's defiant. Just while we're talking about the orcas stuff as well, there's the like, um, showing off that the gates don't work and uh, Firestar like touching the gate. And doing a single tear, which is yes. very like Firestar. You got to be better than this. Like people can see that you're gonna get caught if you're that upset about it. I don't know. That just. I mean, it's it's like cool. Her being the the traitor and being used for propaganda as like, look how look we can prove to you. You know this person's a mutant and. They can't get through the gate anymore. Nobody can get through the gate. Um, yeah. Um, I think my one of my things that this related to, like, stuff, uh, uh, Firestar, not Starfire, um, Firestar and her single tear, is that, like, there's a lot of really, really good visual stuff in this issue. Like, some really, really excellent expressions, like, especially on Doctor Stasis when he's being evil, like, Firestar's single tear, Kitty, all of that kind of thing. And I kind of wish there was a little less narration and text so that it just, like, let those expressions carry it because it really is strong enough to have to have a few less words because, like, this is, this is narration and speech heavy, this issue. Uh, and, and just for some of it, I would have... Uh, uh, the art is good enough to, to stand without some of it. Yeah. And... Um, that's just something I like, so it's a personal preference thing there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I agree. I'm I'm still a Jerry Duggan narration hater a bit. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, now that we have, we'll talk about the Children of the Vault, but I think that one has way better narratorial voice. So I don't mind the narration here, but it's good narration, but it doesn't speak to the confidence of, of Jerry Duggan's writing. But even though he's an incredible, he's a great writer. He's a great writer. He's incredible. But like he, he can let the, he can. It is a visual medium. The pictures and the words are working in tandem. Like he can let the the pictures take center stage every once in a while, especially in those quieter moments, a little more. Yeah, and there's a few bits where it's like drawing comparisons that I think you could like uh, when Kate is killing all those dudes, uh, and it's like making sure to bring up that Wolverine totter stuff and it feels like we can know you can just know that kate has had this training and stuff like obviously well there's going to be people who haven't read that stuff which i haven't myself but it still feels like you don't have to be um sort of i don't know the the bit where it's like um they do the he's the best at what he does but it's not very nice in the narration. It's just like, ah, come on. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I need that. Um. Yeah, I think it, like, I don't know. I had a point and I lost it. I, oh, I think, like, some comic book readers do really like that, like, constant reminiscing that goes on. And, like, I've been, um, like, definitely one of those people in the past. But if that constant reminiscing is getting in the way of me seeing a beautiful picture, I'd rather see the beautiful picture personally. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, do we want to talk a little bit more about Orcus and Orcus's stuff here? We see that they have, like, a clear um, presence in the American government now. Um, yes. If not the world government. Um, but definitely the American one, very heavy, like, they're behind the halls of Congress, or there's two Sentinel, Iron Man Sentinels behind the halls of Congress, um, we see, uh, Captain Krakoa, oh no, that's like, the American flag is in one shot behind Captain Krakoa as he's, like, attacking the White House, so it is very much, like, we are back at the point where there is a government oppression on mutants at the very least in the US. It had already been established in the UK, so... Well, and they they say that every member of the Quiet Council is now considered an international criminal by the UN, or something. Yes. When, when Kate's yeah. going to get her. It's like, yeah. And also, they have, like, the government is allowing them to deport people and forcibly do, you know, air quotes, gene therapies that are either, like depowering people or just killing them uh so yeah they've they've got the support of the government to do what whatever they want to basically yeah and it's like a clear allusion to like in the u.s how uh undocumented migrants are being treated as they try and come across our border and also uh how like the threat that dr like the dreamers face uh with the rep repeal of the dreamer act a few years ago and like i don't know all the specifics of that those politics so i'm not going to be too descriptive i might have already gotten something wrong um 
<laughs> but it is very much like pulling from the real world in a serious way that is effective here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to me, uh, Orca's success here is they um, they they become effectively a a border control for the entirety of the Earth. Uh, like yeah. Um, the their their role like very explicitly is analogous to like border control agencies like ICE in the US, uh, like the ones set up by the UN. Uh, the language used um, really, to me, it evokes the, the the language around borders and the justifications for uh, extreme and unnecessary measures around the enforcement of borders. Um, there, there's a bit where. Uh, uh, Dr. Stasis is saying, like, despite their heinous crimes, we and Orcus are treating the citizens of Krakow with respect and dignity. Uh, those who wish to relocate to Mars are being given free rides. And, like, uh, currently, obviously, like, it's explicit in the text here, but, like, Mars, Arako in, in the comics right now is a war zone. Like, this is directly evocative of, like, refugees being sent back to places where they are not safe, where there are wars, where they are being persecuted under their own governments. Um, well, the, and the allusion to, uh, like, the Dreamers here is is used with Woofer. Uh, yes. Who we see the great return of, um, and that is uh, that he arrives on Arako, he's the perspective we're seeing, and um, there's a line he has, I think, when he's talking to Kitty later on after she appears through the gate, um, where it's like, we were told we had family here, um, yeah. which is something that are told to people that arrived in countries as children or were born in countries then they are sent away from because of their parents' um, like nationality. And like it does kind of speak to the silliness of trying to uphold borders, especially when applied to children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like wind, windfall in the UK. That was the one, right? Um, where the people yes. who had oh, been... Oh, Windrush. The Windrush. Windrush, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yes. Um, people who had been living in the UK for since they were children and were like middle-aged and were being deported because of, you know, Unjust policies and evil government, <laughs> and like, um, there's also Fei Long explicitly setting up Phobos as a way to watch Arako and uh, first first line of defense, sort of. Um, mm. With his his war machines, he's looking down, waiting for anyone to try and leave, so that. They will have a justification then to continue fighting the mutants. It's like we'll we'll get them all to Arako, and then once they're there, y you have to imagine they'll try and scrounge up an excuse to attack them there, mm -hmm. um, uh, or you know stop them from leaving, even if they were leaving to go somewhere else in the galaxy, probably. Um, and yeah, Fei Long just hanging out with the president. He, there's a very good, 
evil face where he's doing like the tented fingers and half of <laughs> yeah, his face is in shadow in shadow <laughs> yeah he, it, that's that's a great piece of art that's a great panel i think it works as as an illusion um like uh to these things it's it's very clearly deliberate like the 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 narration uh makes it all but explicit that like this is this is like what they're trying to say with this um and i think broadly it works because uh at least in the case of like uh, a lot of the policies that we see um the enforcement of borders is exported like it is it, it is taken out of the power structure of government and given to these individual things like border control or ice and things like that and i think in terms of that orcus works pretty well as an analog uh something that's uh in a lot of ways desperate to justify its existence and asking for sweeping powers over the rights of people um for no real reason with very little oversight there's also like the uh, poster we see at the very end which is one of the sort of many that are being put on the gates that is you know if it wasn't for orcus magneto could use this portal oh yeah it's again (laughs) like trying to reinforce that um you know we're protecting you we're saving you from danger um, yeah, the very vague premise of the the fear of other, the fear of the stranger yeah. is being utilized really well here. Um, yeah, like, it says it's an, it's Magneto can card. no longer <laughs> use this gate. Thanks, Orcus. Uh, which is like I I think the the language like really nails it. Like the way these yeah. propaganda posters and are it's made. A very like, modern, like polite in politics yes. version of that statement it's like not as aggressive as maybe something you would see in a different era yeah i i, th- I think the tone of like how orcus is at the moment is is uh really working for what the comic is trying to do like it's it's pretty clear about what they're using the the mutant metaphor and orcus's role in it for and it it sticks quite closely to that um uh, which I appreciate, uh, at least at this point. Yeah. Uh, we have, yeah. like, after the initial, like, uh, Scott scene here, we have a bit of, like, X-Men stuff with Sync and uh, mm. and Kate, where, like, Sync is really worried about Kate being, like, very clearly traumatized and, like, overworking herself. Yeah. And being the only person who can work, kind of, yeah. to a degree. Yeah. Sink is taking on, like, Scott's role here in a very interesting way. Like, he's being, like, he is the leader of the X-Men now. Um, but he's, like, a much more, like, um, compassionate leader, like, right from the get-go than I think Scott is um, ever. Or at least yeah. Scott <laughs> is in his early days as a leader. Um yeah. And that's cool to see. I think it's good characterization to go along with his powers. Mm-hmm. Like he takes on the powers of other people, so he like it makes sense that he would be able to be taking on like the perspectives of other people fairly well. There's also there's a couple of good sort of parallels here with Kate to specifically stuff that I was just reading in the Claremont era, which is uh 
When Kate first shows up, she's very scared of Nightcrawler, even though she knows that he's a good person, she still is off-put by his appearance. Uh, in this, Miss Marvel is afraid of Kate because Kate is a scary ninja at the minute. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. <laughs> and she's like put off by that. Um, and also, uh, Kate sees Rasputin 4 as similar to her in Days of Future Past as someone who came back from a future that is awful um, and she knows obviously she doesn't have those memories but she does know that that happened and now she feels like she's she has failed in a way where she is in that future like yeah she later gets given um those uh the the memories of what happened from rachel's perspective in the story oh okay i haven't gotten there but yeah so, and also she seems like she doesn't trust Rasputin for. Yeah. She says, Does, is she up to something, basically? Mm. Which is, like, I can sort of understand where it's coming from when she came from the, the Sinister timeline and everything was quite bad there. <laughs> uh, she's a but it is to the X-Men from Mother Righteous as well. Yeah. Um, like, not to call it person with agency a gift but that is literally what happens in the text yeah i mean it's and and, and it's it also sets up like with you know miss marvel and dress putin both being like put off by her like also sets up like those two being like allied or like friends again like which yeah which again makes sense because they're both like newcomers to this uh to this world like this is a this is a good like character development for Kate like compared to her like previous Krakoa stuff because like up 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 until uh Destiny she was kind of like everyone's friend like she was just mm. you know when Judgment Day happened she was just like yeah I was just like immediately given the thumbs up because it was just clearly <laughs> I guess <laughs> she was just like clearly the good guy so this is yeah uh, the first time at least in Krakoa where she's seen as like intimidating or um yeah it's definitely yeah. there's there's a lot of like Kate Kate is the best of us like um yeah I I, I mentioned in the bit that is no longer recorded but uh I've been reading some Utopia era stuff and that's when uh Kate is back but she's sort of still messed up because she's constantly intangible and there's a lot of people being like okay oh, we 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 trust you because you're the best of us you know we can we know you can you'll always do the right thing sort of um and this is sort of her giving up on that a little bit and deciding to be yeah that like th these people haven't given her a choice anymore they've gone so far that she feels like she has to uh fight back in this way yeah they're at war and they're losing like yeah. immediately yeah. they've never been a nation before they have never been like she has never been a head of state before, and now she's lost all of that. In addition to like her her feel, feelings as a person, I don't know. I didn't have more of a point there, uh, but she's she's lost all of that, and she goes on to kill a shit ton of Orcus um, members and hide their bodies. It, it, <laughs> yeah. Um. Like immediately after the Hellfire Gala. Yeah. Um, the action sequence rolls. Um, yes, like Very it's good. it's it's great art. It's great stuff. It's 
I, it's a really it cool power, and you know, sometimes it can feel like she doesn't get to show it off as well. And here is just like the the full realization of what how nasty it can be. Yeah, um, when when she's you know going full murder ninja on on Orcus, um, it's it it's brutal. It's it's great. It really fits with. Uh, I think also um, the the page afterwards where she's like, "Okay, I've I've killed all these people, and now I'm going to break down about it." Um, and her refusal to talk about any of it to anyone else in the rest of the issue uh, it really really sells this like shit yeah. characterization. Yeah, there's a point where she's talking to Emma. Um, and she said the she says the world ended and maybe we helped give it a push and then Emma says in response uh, don't say that it's not true but it's exactly what your abusers would very much like you to believe what happened to you you know um, yeah. so she thinks she's at the end of her rope in a very big way and Emma's like no no you're not I do <gasps> think okay. it's it's interesting <laughs> between this and immortal that Emma is very resilient and sort of is seems to be the person saying we need to keep fighting which fits a lot because she's been through this before she was on genosha she's like one of the only survivors that's like the key one of the key moments in her entire character is the time she failed to protect the children she and everything went very wrong and she kept going and was able to come through it in a way where we get to it in Immortal. Professor X is just has given up to a degree. Um, yeah. But you can see it here as well. In a shocking development for Jerry Duggan, uh, Kate Pride and Emma Frost's relationship is the central focal point of this book. <laughs> um, and it's really good. And it's uh, it was something Nick said, like in chat, uh, when this issue came out, that I thought was uh, was really important for Emma. That she's so used to like hear everyone's thoughts, and it it must be like similar to her. Like it is for Charles that she just like doesn't hear anything, basically. Yeah, but she. I was thinking about that more. She also does have the experience of that being shut off at times because in her diamond form, it is shut off. So even in that way, she she has an experience above Charles where she can deal with this and maybe frame it in a way that's that's different. But it is still a a valve, a sense that has been entirely cut off. The Krakoan Age has done like a lot of work to reframe Emma's story from the early days into um, not just one of a villain, but also like someone who is who is co-currently in making bad decisions, surviving abuse from both shaw and from um from the kingpin you see some of that in the marauders run um i believe like the end of marauders ish um but it's been a minute since i've read Mm. all of that so i'm not exactly sure and i think i think we see a lot of that coming to fruition here um as someone who Emma, Emma's been doing her own therapy essentially over the last like three years in the books, and we're seeing her be able to to use that to give advice to uh, like her students finally, um, in like a way that I think we saw Magneto doing in the early days of like X Men Red with 
yes. um, sun sunspot. Um, uh, to me, also like uh, Emma's one of the like good guys who has very frequently been uh, a bad guy or an anti-hero or done the wrong thing and made horrible mistakes and had a lot of people around her die or her life ripped away from her and continued, um, which uh, is a perspective that a lot of the more heroic characters don't have in, in the same way. Like, they have the broad thing of, like, you know, mutants being depowered and everything like that back in whenever that happened uh, and, like, going through general superhero stuff. But in terms of, effectively, being on the losing side of the world, uh, that's something that, like, Emma Frost lives in that, and the kind of compromises that you might have to make when you're on the losing side are something that Emma Frost has done again and again and again. So it makes a lot of sense to see her be the character that is responding the be- the best, so to speak. Obviously, like... Well, she's making those bad decisions right now, too, because yeah. we see her exactly. fucking yeah. wipe Kamala f- Kamala's family's minds of, like, Kamala's death. Yeah, she wiped everything. She found where um, the special issue of Fallen Friend was in their memories, and she removed it. <laughs> we can all forget about it. Yep. yep. <laughs> and she apparently just, you know, dropped... Just did like a lap around the neighborhood while she was at it and got everyone else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's possibly an accidental parallel again from uh, Miss Marvel and Kitty Pride, but I just read the beginning of Dark Phoenix where Emma wipes Kitty's or like changes Kitty's dad's perception of uh, yes of everything that makes him agree with. Charles to uh, to send Kitty to the school of gifted children. So, you know, yeah, like to Emma, this is this is just something you do. You know, sometimes yeah. you have to wipe someone's memories in order to get what you want. <laughs> I mean, Charles used to do it a lot too. Exactly, but like that was more of a Kirby era Charles thing. <laughs> it's it's kind of a thing that Emma has been one of the only people in the Krakoa era who is still willing to do it as well. Like yeah. there's the um, economic forum or something. It's not the Davos yeah. one. But no, it's actually during Hoxpox, they have the Mm. bit where they're in like the UN and she's just like, oh yeah, there were some people who weren't going to vote for us, but I've changed their mind. (laughs) And (laughs) Charles is like, ah, you're making a great sacrifice for our country. But like, she does this. This is, this has always been her way. Um, And she is still willing to, even though Charles says he isn't anymore. Except when he is, when he's threatened by Orcus, but, you know. To her, this is the level of immoral as, like, shoplifting is to a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And it's a sort of greater good thing, where, like, by by changing these people's minds, she is potentially saving the lives of thousands of mutants or something. um, Yeah. Which I I think is very understandable. uh, In, for, for Emma... Uh, and I think this is at least for for like current comics era current characterization of Emma uh, like hits this very succinctly and goes uh, like very specific on this like almost anything can be justified if it is for the good of 
the children, uh, whether that's mutant children or like uh, children suffering in some way, like Emma will do anything for that for the children broad term to be to be safe yeah i think and it, it makes her very compelling i really like like that perspective the sort of you know i'll, I'll do what needs to be done to make sure people don't suffer in the same way that i did as as long as uh, kate and emma are like at the forefront of this book i'll be okay with it like that's just Oh, so clearly, Jared Duggan's strongest uh, characters. So. Yeah, and as as you uh, alluded to earlier, like it's something that he's done very well in the past. It's something that's going to be very good to see built on. We're obviously going to see Firestar and Juggernaut um, coming up at some point because we all yeah. know that infamous cover that's been going around. I don't. Well, they're fighting on the cover. That's all. Okay. It is. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the other okay. two beats that happen in this book uh, that I think matter are we see Forge um, he's somewhere like his resist didn't work long enough he's on ambiguously purple planet he's in quantum mania by the looks of it <laughs> from, from what I can tell he's in, clearly in quantum mania uh, <laughs> and uh, he's like oh fuck the vault and oh no I left got the out. door unlocked Oh uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> I forgot to put batteries or charge my phone before I left the house. Oh yeah, Forge doesn't appear to know what's happened from his dialogue no, and he his has reactions. No clue. It seems like he he got like I do. He says, uh, "Did someone slip something in my drink?" And I don't think that necessarily. I think he, in combination with him having been drinking and Charles's shit, he wasn't able to do the red triangle. I think is the implication here properly. Yeah, and so he got. He got pushed through the gate. <laughs> and he's somewhere possibly completely unaware of anything that's happened beyond Krakoa is incapacitated. Yeah. Um, and then we see uh, the X-Men meeting up with uh, the the uncanny Avengers, or the, <laughs> the Unity Squad. Unity Squad is a terrible called. name. I've never liked it. I, I, have to, I have to speak the truth here. They should have called it something different. They could have called it Uncanny Avengers in universe, I think. Yeah, it's it's it feels very um Oh yeah, if we all just come together, everything will be solved. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, and that's like what the original bit is, because it's when um Scott is uh Scott was on Genosha or doing the Genosha stuff and it was right after the five people get all consumed by the phoenix it, all at yeah. once it's after and avengers versus x-men right so it's yeah. like a sort of reconciliation yeah. thing uh, the way avengers versus x-men ends is scott kills professor x yeah rules um, kind of not really because <laughs> he's back like almost immediately but his brain is in the red skull now <laughs> and uh, that's like the beginning of uh the original unity squad the X-Men get to be cops now. That's kind of the framing of it. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's also why I find like it's strange in this, because like the it's the X-Men are clearly not cops here. They're like possibly the most not cops they've ever been. Uh, <laughs> in this specific yeah. moment. Like Orcus are very much cops. Yeah. Um and it's like Steve Rogers putting together a squad with like 
three like killer mutants like Deadpool and Psylocke and and Rogue. I believe Rogue is confirmed for the Unity squad as well. But like those are three mutants who like are very okay with publicly or covertly murdering. murdering people incredibly violently. It's really wild to have it's like, yeah, welcome to my good optics unity squad. Here we have three like convicted killers. <laughs> I think it's four, because I think Monet has also been confirmed oh, yes. to the Unity yeah. squad. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a squad alright. And, and the fact that they're just going to be to kill three and a half of them are mutants. Yeah. <laughs> that they're just going to be out there like doing normal hero stuff during this time of massive upheaval and like people that not wanting them. That seems to be the implication, it's... but I feel like it can't just go that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're more directly just fighting Orcus or something. Yeah, okay, I think we'll we see. are getting too much into uh, predictions for next week, and <laughs> we should maybe move on to Astonishing Iceman, if that sure. sounds yeah. good to Sure. Uh, Astonishing Iceman, number one, um, by Steve Orlando and Vincenzo Caratu. Um, after being injected with cellular, cellular napalm by Nimrod, Iceman was believed dead, but... By traveling to Antarctica and connecting with him in an, on an empathic level, Romeo was able to bring him back. There should probably be a question mark there because it's it's like bring him back. Hmm. Uh, now, ten weeks post gala, Romeo senses crises crises and sends a Iceman out to help, but he only has a limited time before he must return to his Antarctic palace, or he will fall apart again. Yeah. Uh, whenever we say 10 weeks, by the way, that's the X weeks, right? So I feel yeah. like it's unclear if it's meant to be like exactly 10 weeks or like an unspecified amount. I feel I feel like it's meant to be just 10 for... No, like, they, ju- they do say X a few times and yeah. they do say 10 a few times. So it's, it is 10 for sure. Okay. I really liked this issue. I thought it was great and I'll tell you why I liked it. This is Spider-Man. This is a Spider-Man issue to me. <laughs> this this is what if Iceman was a Spider-Man? What if this was a Spider-Man what if he comic? Was maybe one of his amazing friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very it is very much like a Spider-Man. He, Iceman is being positioned here as like a beloved comic book hero, which he is, and he normally does take like second stage to being part of like an ensemble cast Mm. and it is very nice to see him be able to have fun um in on his own but also like this really high stakes drama is going on in the background that's incredibly compelling here are we all on board with it being a very spider-man comic because i i I have ways that i can justify it further if if, if we're not convinced yeah i believe it yeah yeah it's, it's, uh, it's not a comparison that came to mind for me, but now you say it, like, I, yeah. Yeah, I it makes sense. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, we, we've got the action and we've got the, like, the, the split between super heroics and having to be pulled back to, like, your home and love life and yeah. away from that. And it's very literalized in this, which is fun. Uh, like, he will literally fall apart and die if he doesn't go back to his empath ice palace. 
um, where he stays with his boyfriend. Uh, yeah, I spent being alive is maybe an exaggeration. Yeah, yeah I'm not totally alive. sure if if this is like actually Iceman or if it's like a kind of a weird zombie. <laughs> like that that first panel where he's getting resurrected and he just has like the like colon like parentheses yes. like smile is very it's a bit spooky. Oh yeah. It yeah. is. <laughs> and like he is he's he's interesting his character is interesting in this comic cuz like while in the last one everyone everything was like grim dark and everyone was like you know very visibly struggling he is iceman is like extremely traumatized but also trying to no pun intended keep it cool yeah uh, <laughs> Be I mean, like I, the fun Spider-Man type. I, know, I would not hero. be surprised if within this miniseries we 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 have like, um, like Romeo being like, you have to accept that these bad things are happening and that you can't like save everyone or whatever. And 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 we have Bobby Iceman respond with like, I'm just trying to keep it cool, you know. Like, that seems like something that will happen in this book to me. Orcus is now currently, in this issue, just randomly shooting civilians who have, <laughs> yeah. like, some... There's, like, an X-gene drug that some people took. I forgot yeah, the name. Yeah, some people took Kick. That's what it was called. It, in no, the, from this, the Grant Morrison comic, this right? This isn't is Kick. I, I, I went onto the Marvel database... And, and did a little research, because this is Steve Orlando, and um, I was like, that's not Kick that he's referenced there, and I know Steve Orlando knows about Kick. Um, this is Experience. Uh, it's a plot point from an arc in Uncanny X-Men in 2010, um, and it, it, it basically it's, it's explicitly what it, what it does here. In that arc, it's more like a you temporarily get to be an X Man and like you get real pow- like powerful from it. Um, okay, I I literally read those comics yesterday and I didn't even realize it was the same thing because it's framed <laughs> quite differently there. It's framed but, okay, entirely that was, differently. That was in San Francisco as well, which is makes total sense now. Yeah, um, yeah, because this guy is okay. like I took it once, like five years ago or whatever. It's like when you test positive on a drug test for marijuana, but all you did was make <laughs> out with someone that was smoking it a month ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in this, it's framed very much like a like a party drug. In like the original, it's it is like a a weapon drug sort of. This is a Steve Orlando law law diving. Um, it's, it's a good little Bobby bit. Bobby does kiss this man to make sure that he keeps testing positive for the, <laughs> the drugs, though. Yeah. I've seen mixed positive reactions to this because, like, uh, like as because the kiss reads pretty romantic, um, and it's like, are we are we soft launching Iceman polyamory, or is this just like general celebration? I think to me, here's how I interpreted the kiss. It's like. It's like that photo where, like, the the soldier came home from the war or something, and like Absolutely. kisses a random yeah. woman on the street. Uh, like, I think this is just it. It is supposed to be him, like, being celebratory, him being, um, you know, showing off that, 
like trying to like show that everything is fine when it isn't basically yeah lo- love love and celebration in the face of despair yes. i think i think i think it definitely works for that like yeah. your mileage may vary depending on how much you're okay with the idea of a sh- of two strangers kissing suddenly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, he seems he seems look, into it. So I mean, everyone it. is oh, yeah. everyone is kind of poly on Krakoa anyway. Like yes. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's not to be read as they have an open relationship or whatever. That is entirely, you know possible just saying that this like random stranger i don't think that is like a romantic relationship is gonna start now like this seems like a one-off character i i think it does definitely it's it's very the uh the soldier coming coming home from the war giving a kiss yes kind of it also it feels like the sort of thing that would have been in a comic 50 years ago of just like the superhero saving a lady and then like kissing her and they, you know, stop doing that because it it does not re- read well. Um, yeah. But it's sort of like when it's the dude and it's like, I don't know, it's, it feels like sort of re- reclaiming a thing a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a nice moment. And is it also like a... a ED joke a little bit at the end where he's like <laughs> which one I'm always over too soon like um you, you know how it is guys like me always over too soon I that he's a quick shot or something yeah he, he comes too that's, quick that's a little bit yeah, yeah. cause he's yeah. there's also one later on where yeah sorry when you said sorry. uh when you said ED I thought you meant eating disorder <laughs> I was like, oh, I was like, oh, initially. <laughs> I was like I missed that what's going on dysfunction Oh yeah, yeah. no, the, it's it, no. He's definitely... absolutely coming too quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there's the one later on with Romeo where he's like, "Oh, you know how I'll spend the next hour? Oh, you're gonna be ready to go four times or something." Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> he has like on his on his current X uniform, he has like the like dick bones or like what's it called the V bones, <laughs> like especially marks, and then there's an X, uh, there's an X like right ahead, uh, like right above his. Yeah, those are called. Gutters. Gutters, yes. Yeah, that is the the, the standard phrase. Um, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, mostly this is just a really fun issue. I think this is good stuff. Yeah, it's there's not like a lot to it. It's just like yeah. it's sort of a f- like it's a fu- fun adventure, and then like setting up the what the stakes are with. Like yes. Romeo and the Antarctica stuff, and and also um, like sending the elements of doom after his family. <laughs> yeah, he has a rogues gallery immediately now. <laughs> yeah, I learned from Cerebro he has a very bad relationship with his family. So um, that that's also very Spider Man to me. Um, going after the family, I like his ice cave. Does does Spider Man have like uh, like his Batcave? He or doesn't. Uh, he 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 did for a while when he was the CEO of a corporation. He had like a spider cave. Yeah, Spider Man's had hideouts at various times, but like he, it's he also never had been like a spider car for him. He he also had like a spider car and a spider plane at that time, <laughs> but yeah. he doesn't anymore. 
I think that's kind of commonplace with Marvel stuff. Like, it does kind of go back to... Well, none of this got recorded, but what I was talking about <laughs> earlier with, um, like, people being afraid of the status quo changing is, like, a mm. lot of Marvel characters, like, don't have that much of a status quo to go back to. Like, he's had... Spider-Man has had a wide variety of circumstances. He's had hideouts, but none of them are particularly iconic to me, at least, you know? Iceman's Palace. Uh, Fortress of Solitude or Elsa's Palace from Frozen. Feels a bit more Elsa's Palace to me. A little bit of both. <laughs> yeah. He even makes a, a little snowman dude. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he just has a buddy. The mechanics of how Romeo's stuff works felt a bit unclear to me. Like, just reading it the first time, I was a bit like, I don't, I don't feel like I fully get what's going on here. And then it was like, looking at it again, it's like, okay... He's, like, keeping him alive with empathy powers. Yeah. And he's able to, like, sense around the entire world where stuff is going on and, like, send Iceman there. But then Iceman has to get back in time or he he only has, like, a time limit. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, an hourglass type deal. There's a lot of mechanics going on, sort of. Um, which can, can lead to interesting stuff, but it's just... Uh, at, at first, I wasn't totally clear on what was going mm. on, kind of. Um, also, I like that Romeo is like, uh, of course, I'm helping you. They're they're coming for the mutants now. They'll come for the Inhumans next. Like, And, and even if they weren't, I would... Which is, uh, Miss Marvel says a similar thing in X-Men 25. She says, you know, I would be helping you even if I wasn't a mutant because what's going on is wrong. Um, they're coming for all three of the new or all three of the inhumans that are still in the marvel <laughs> universe uh the elements of doom are an existing comic book thing i suspect of course they like, are. yeah uh so their first appearances in um avengers uh, um 188 back in 1979 uh and they they are literally just like they are each each of them is like an element from the periodic table, but a villain. <laughs> um, and then they also turn that's up great. in nineteen ninety seven, and that's those are the things I could find. I couldn't go and find the exact issues for some of them, but uh, the these these have existed before, and the the implication is that there is a full periodic table of them. Yeah, he does say, uh, the Orcus guy does say, hydrogen, oxygen, Drake spent his whole life mastering two elements, but there's 116 others. <laughs> it's a good line, yeah. I, I will be really entertained if we get, like, each one of 116 elements over the next <laughs> the, four issues. I mean... <laughs> Astonishing We just get a, a two-page spread of the periodic table with little, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. portraits for each of them. Yeah, for a data page, oh, that would be, be good. good. That would be uh, a good data page. Oh, that would be dope, yeah. Yeah, like in the in the Kieran Gillen Eternals, there were a bunch of, like, data pages that just listed Eternals. <laughs> <laughs> Kieran Gillen says this on his podcast appearances all the time, that Every time he sends in a script, he apologizes to the artist, because, like, that would be rough for having someone draw 116 characters in one split, in, like, 
That's it one would take page. forever. That's yeah. You need to hire an artist just yeah, for the you one need to page get George Paris for that. Like, <laughs> or I guess Valerio Skitty does that stuff in his crossover stuff. But yeah. Okay, who would like to read the summary for Children of the Vault? Uh, I'll go for it. <clears throat> the Children of the Vault break free of Forge's prison and announce themselves to the world as the Children of Tomorrow, providing necessities and averting disasters across the world, all while spreading a thought-based plague to make people like them. Bishop breaks Cable out of Orcus captivity so they can work together to defeat the Children. So, this was, like, one of the biggest question marks we've had. Absolutely. Yeah, I was worried about this series. Um, (laughs) Newcomer to Marvel writing, uh, so I don't think any of us have read 20th Century Man, although, spoilers, after this, I'm interested in reading that. Yeah, me too. Uh, This is a banger. This was really great. Yeah. Yeah, I really like this. Um, and also, uh, as I said, uh, but uh, after reading this, I was like intrigued enough to go and read the Messiah yeah. trilogy <laughs> to see what the history was uh, between Bishop and Cable. Um, yeah, this because... issue immediately made me care about both Bishop and Cable like 10,000 times more than yes. I have before. Like, Dennis Camp nails the voices for both of these characters like immediately, like within one page. You like immediately get who they are. Yeah. Um we uh let's let's talk Bishop and Cable first then. Um I really like them being a tag team. Uh, yes. They 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 very clearly dislike each other. They're they're um, the odd couple team. With, with, very, yeah, very exactly. good reason. Yeah, you want to explain us why they dislike... They have a long history of hating uh, each other. Dislike each other. Yeah. So, in uh, Messiah Complex, Hope Summers is born, and uh, everyone everyone is hunting down Cable because he has taken her. Yes, and, he uh, his, kidnapped his her. Yeah, his plan is to go to the future where she can be safe from... Because everyone wants hope, and there's no way for her to have a normal or safe life in the current, uh, because people think she's the mutant messiah. Mm. Uh, Bishop believes that because in his future, hope was around, she was the mutant messiah, she got a million humans killed by doing some nebulous thing, and that is what led to the crackdown on mutants, the camps, the, like, more sentinels, stuff like that. Um, so he believes that if he can kill Hope, he will avert his his future from ever having happened, and all those people won't have to suffer anymore. I I think, like, it's... They don't get into it as much, but I think Cable also believes that if he can save Hope, his future won't happen. Like, the all the horrible stuff. Um, so they're both basically on opposite sides there, and Bishop is very willing to just shoot that child. Um, and in Messiah War, which is the sort of second event, uh, X Force goes into the future to help Cable, uh, like 
one sort of one last time um and bishop is also in the future having because he has time travel um and he has like sided with apocalypse and strife uh cables or no he's just sided with strife uh cables clone and he's willing to do anything again to kill hope um he fails and then second coming is about is the third in the trilogy there's not really any bishop in that it's just hope finally comes back as like an 18 year old and uh second coming kicks ass i really really like that event um it's just like the x-men struggling believing that this like one last thing they have to do they have to survive and then like things will start to get better after the decimation um and it's a really good like last stand and nightcrawler dies and there's a really good funeral for him and everyone everyone cries and it's good um but yeah, so that the the history there is like Bishop wanted to kill Cable's child, basically Cable's adopted daughter, and, um, and teams and, up with his evil clone to do so. Yeah, he's willing to do anything. He he shoots Professor X in the head uh, because he like misses Hope, or I don't remember, uh, or I think Hope gets teleported away, and he like shoots Professor X. He he went off the deep end there. <laughs> um, Are they from? Uh, they're from different points in the future, right? But still, both the future, or is Cable from a dead future? I think they're both, from, they both different from different futures. futures. Yeah, they're different from different futures. futures. There's so many future options. It's hard to keep track a little bit. <laughs> it is. But I, this comic does a really good job of establishing like a core conflict in its first issue that's really engaging they team up they find out that orcus has uh given everyone a brain disease that makes them or the children of the vault has given yeah. everyone a brain disease that makes them like them and mm. like you wanna you wanna um, tell us what it's called uh let me look <laughs> well it, it doesn't oh we don't know it what it's name? called but we we get some we get some what it's similar to which is some fun. fun oh yeah, things. it's like Hawkspox. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the Hawkspox named after a guy named Hawks. So that's yeah. great. Joseph, which is also Hawks, very. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit like sucking up because it's like, oh, this story is yeah. so incredible that, that you you can't help but think about it and be like, uh, it, it takes over your mind because it's all you can think about, which is is very funny. Yeah. Um, it's a good bit. They find a great way to put uh, Cable and Bishop at odds with each other in, like, a variety of ways, both in their experiences with the future, their their past hating each other, and also how they are dealing with uh, the fallout and the fall of X. Like, Bishop is sleeping on the streets and, like, just wearing, like, the clothes on his back, and Cable who has a different relationship with time than Bishop does, because he can freely time travel to a certain degree, where Bishop's power has nothing to do with that. It was a one-and-done type deal, him coming back. Um, like, has been able to establish, like, safe houses around the world and whatever, kind of, like, Batman-esque. Um, and that adds, like, a, a nice layer to them hating each other, where it's like, there is disparity here. Um, yeah, there's also a bit of though, like um, Cable's like words to stop himself, or his like mantra during the torture is like "What is is," 
Um, and like when Bishop finds out about Cable's like thing and he thinks like for a second, oh, imagine what I could have done if I had all this. And then he just goes, well, I didn't like it's sort of what is is <laughs> yeah. they have a similar philosophy yeah. there it's um, which I think it's is really interesting because uh, like in many ways these two characters are just the same like they're both dudes from the future with like guns who want to change time to stop their edgy future happening and they'll be as edgy as they need to be about it with as many guns as they need to use about it and uh, again, like this does a really good job of actually putting them into two distinct characters with like opposing viewpoints, but like their sil- similarities are so much like their willingness to like their willingness to go to go all guns out, guns blazing to like destroy their enemies, um, and like they they have a very clear idea of like what needs to be done and the steps that need to be taken to do it. There's no, like, uh, (laughs) there's no questions about, like, their conflict isn't, like, Bishop and Cable aren't arguing about whether it was right to, like, mind wipe and kill a whole, like, (laughs) bunch of Orcus people (laughs) and blow up their base. They're both like, yeah, that needed to be done. Their differences are, like, um... I fundamentally hate you and the things that you stand for. Um, and I have been like sleeping on the streets, uh, conducting like freedom fighter terrorism against Orcus. Um, and <laughs> you've been chilling with your cool cyborg arm and a safe house. <laughs> uh, but you know what? We've got to work together to, to destroy these children. Uh, the children of the vault. And uh, I think it also works very well that the children of the vault um, uh, represent this idea of sort of like optimism and hope and things being solved, which Bishop and Cable both like exist against in many ways. They are cynical to the core. And um, I think that's a good contrast. The the children of the vault are like they're skipping forward and saying we've we've gone 10,000 years in the future and we've come back and here is all the good stuff yeah. and Cable and Bishop are like we're from 80 years in the future and this shit sucks you <laughs> yeah. do not want to be there um and yeah it's like and obviously they're the children of the vault are also uh, mind controlling people so <laughs> but uh it's 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 sort of fun to have a story where Cable and Bishop are right to be like yeah um nihilistically cynical and edgy about the future in comparison to uh, yeah like, like weirdly like I think this is like to to Dennis Kemp's credit and uh, the artist is um, Luca Maresca is the artist uh, Kairos Lopez on the colors. Uh, they they do they do a great job at having like a story about these two edgy guys in an edgy time of like in a dark time of X Men, but it's not it's not like a grim dark book. Like it's a fun book. It's it has some colors, you know. Uh, I think it also helps that like 
we're in like full sci-fi mode here from the beginning like the narration sets up our full sci-fi mode like the opening narration i think is brilliant i think it sets the tone for the issue really well we go like the way it talks through the like systems failing to release the children is brilliant while that opening narration is happening um we are seeing uh a teen from chile um wandering into lithium mines and kind of doing like a protest photo shoot selfie um where he drinks the lithium suicide or suicide yeah i don't know how much lithium you have to take to die so i i didn't want to make an assumption that he was gonna (laughs) die from it (laughs) so the 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 northern chili pod there are lithium fields in chile um and there are lithium fields that look almost exactly like the ones in the photos like this really eerie bright yellow square square pools of water like it's an astonishing visual um in a lot of ways and it is like pretty much directly taken from the real world and it's uh i forget what's called it's a it's a certain way of like extracting lithium which is incredibly water intensive so you sort of like you get all this water and soak out the lithium and in parts of chile it it uses like the water from like miles around to do this so um as it says in in the narration like uh, a time before these fields stole their water destroyed their crops and poisoned their animals like water from my like the thing it's speaking to here is a real issue that exists in the world um tierra desnunda uh is not a place that exists in the world it's uh, a bit from what i could find it's a phrase that means the bare earth it, it's it's making some 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 statements there uh doesn't about doesn't desnuda mean like naked or something yeah it's 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 naked or bare i think is what okay, it translates yeah. to yeah i uh it's been a while since my spanish class but <laughs> yeah I think it it also like obviously the what they're they're talking to there is like the desperation that people have all around the world because of exploitation and mm. um like horrific circumstances and that's a niche that the children of tomorrow can just come in and say we can help you with this and obviously wouldn't wouldn't begrudge anyone taking taking the the help there like um it's sort of understandable how they can get that that foothold immediately and then obviously spread out around the world from there yeah it's also there's a there's a sequence in this that feels very um uh, uh powers of xy oh it's absolutely yeah. like while while you slept the world changed like i think is literally said yeah yes um and we get like the 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 places around the world which are overwhelmingly like either like extremely disadvantaged places or third world countries um uh, using using that in the in the term that it was originally used as uh um countries that were not aligned with either side of the cold war um and like places like refugee camps places like the lithium fields in chile uh and it's showing the the like the salvation of these places that 
have done little but suffer under like the current system and places that are often uh, largely ignored by Marvel books. It's also in contrast to Krakoa. Obviously, this was what Forge was trying to do this year was basically (laughs) create these things. But like Krakoa thus far, they did the medicines, which are obviously very good, but it's like those those medicines still had to be exported. There was still inequality in how those medicines were given out and stuff. And here the children of tomorrow are doing a better version of what the X-Men did, presumably directly taking inspiration from what the X-Men did. Yes. Because they have that knowledge. They Seraphina can communicate with all the technology in the world and just find out what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and see where the mutants failed and do better. Yeah, they're the X Men were trying to work within the 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 mutants were trying to work within the human power structure that already existed in terms of negotiating, and the children of the vault are just ignoring that and creating like things for themselves. I'm sure there's going to be another shoe that'll drop, but so far, like they are um, benevolent gods. Yes, yeah, this <laughs> is this is a great like. Uh, you have been, this is a great sci-fi, like, you have been presented with utopia by these mysterious beings. Um, I wonder what, like, and like, in, in sci-fi stories, like, quite often, you like, there's a lot of setup uh, that's sort of selling you on this utopia, and this is what, like, part of this issue does, like, it sells you, like, here are the benefits of this utopia, and then uh, it also uses... Cable and Bishop as these people who have seen these kind of futures uh, like we we immediately have the cynicism of the utopia which I think like uh, in sci-fi books I've read that follow like the sort of like we discover that there is a dystopia behind the utopia like we discover that these people are not so benevolent as they might seem like this uh, this compresses that in a really like effective way um, that will that works a lot better as a as as a comic book um it it has a real feel to me of like um like 2000s uh like non-big two superhero story i feel like there are a few that sort of like uh rising stars was one where it the it's like you have this sort of knockoff superhero team and because they're outside of the like DC and Marvel universe, they're able to actually make these u- huge structural changes and sort of see what would happen there. Um, and that's, that's a very interesting thing that sort of doesn't usually come up because you, you still have to deal with like what Spider-Man's reaction to all this, <laughs> which they're not going to hear because it's going to be like five issues. Um, yeah. But like those were always stories I enjoyed, mm. um, so it's sort of cool to see something like that here. Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, is, from this how, is really compelling stuff for me. From from how good this was, I, you know, I hope Dennis Camp gets more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gets yeah, to continue absolutely. this story. Like even if it's not going to be called Children of the Water, if it launches into something different. Um, I'm I'm so relieved that this is good. Like I think the Hellfire Gala <laughs> being good was the first thing where I was like, okay, Follow X is going to be great. But like having one of the new books 
with a new author not just be not just be decent but actually like one of the best like one of the best books of these first two weeks is incredibly reassuring it makes me very excited for uh like even if like dark x-men and realm of x and uh whatever new ones there are like even if those even if those suck we still have like at least one bang a new series like one good great new series so that's already you know more than i hoped for um i have one more stupid thing about to add about this one which is I, I said this in the pre-recording thing that I keep getting these clickbait articles recommended and one of them was I don't I don't have it here anymore but it was from like um what's that clickbait website called uh screen screen rent or... yes it was exactly from screen rent <laughs> uh, and it was caught something like move over colossus children of the vault has new Hulk like X Men, and basically the the i the con the conceit of the article was that Colossus is basically the Hulk of the X Men, which <laughs> already not true. <laughs> but no. they were saying that he is just as powerful as the Hulk on the Avengers, basically. Uh, but uh, you know, he's not been uh, front and center, and now Children of the Vault has a new character who is also Hulk-like strength, and it's the, like, big blue one, whose name is, I think, Pero. Yeah. And becomes then the one with the flaming skull. Uh, but the article posited that he's gonna, he's gonna join the X-Men as the new Hulk, or as the new Colossus. <laughs> Very clearly not what's happening here. Yeah. I looked at all the pictures I could in a Google search and wrote an article about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The, the the children do have a very they're cool designs yes. all of them I think. Um, also, just looking here, and it's so funny that like Cable reads Bishop's mind, and his entire reaction to the Hellfire yeah. Gala is to just go like, uh, <laughs> it just does like a, a solid snake. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's like that's a really great page because like it's it's them riding away from an explosion uh, that. Cable's arm has caused, you know, and it's mm. the classic, like, you know, badass shot of, like, them on their motorcycle and the explosion in the background, and he's like, you're, read my mind, and then it's just, like, in one big panel, it's just condensed uh, the entire events of the gala. Like, I think this one, like, this one panel really conveys what it's probably like to read someone's mind, you know, like, just to get <laughs> yeah. all the, you know, when you get a bunch of thoughts at once. It's a it's a really cool way to do like a sort of like um recap kind of thing. Yeah. And it doesn't uh, it's not like a ton of narration that explains what happened, right? Like that's what we complained about with the X-Men issue. Like it really yeah. is just one image and it tells everything. <laughs> and him just again going what is is like mm. that's happened, what are we gonna do about it now? Yeah. Like, immediately it's on to next steps. It's not... You're not going to... Cable's not going to wallow in it, ever. <laughs> um, though, in, in the Messiah War stuff, uh, Hope does make a point to say that Cable thinks crying is cool, and uh, he's not, like, a hard-ass. <laughs> he's, like... He was, he was, like, emotionally healthy in that way. Uh -huh. But, uh... It's, it's... Yeah, here he's just like, Alright, well, next step. 
let's let's yeah, I mean, it seems to be like it starts with his introduction is him like upside down meditating in a tank while Orcus is trying to read his mind and basically blocks out everything by only thinking what is is. Mm. Like it seems like he has coping mechanisms, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like he was going to be able to break out in three days, but like Bishop just moved yeah. up the timeline a little bit, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> I do just, like, one of my notes for this issue is just Cable is so cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they both are really cool in this issue. It it really sells both of them being, like, incredibly cool. And it sells them to be, like, a, like a cool, like, you know, action movie double uh, odd couple thing. Yeah, the buddy cop deal. The yes. only other note I have for this is that Cable spends the majority of this issue just, like practically naked just in his underwear <laughs> like wandering around New York yeah there's a, there's a cute joke where uh, someone is like wait aren't you and then he mind wipes him that he thinks yeah. is Josh Brolin yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's just a bunch of funny like shop names like Fantastic oh, Four, yeah. Starbucks <laughs> um, that they go to Dayspring they're his, his like high high his hideout is Dayspring Flower Shop or yeah. something. Kieran Gillan has found his rival in, like, <laughs> <laughs> trying to fit as many puns in there as possible. The uh, panel I want to shout out before we move on to uh, Immortal X-Men is uh, I really like the scene where uh, Cable's reading Bishop's mind, and in order to uh, get into his mind and deep, they kind of strip away, away the layers and reveal, like, bishop's inner child um i thought that i yeah. I, yeah. I really like that that i, I think that's very cool it looks great that it's like yeah getting down to the sort of base of the person and mm -hmm. it's also a kind of like bishop went through all of this like horrific trauma as a kid in the like mutant concentration concentration camps like again in like messiah complex when it's like Jamie Madrox and Layla Miller go to the future and they meet Bishop as a child and he's the one who's willing to tell them that the mutant messiah is and he's literally like if I had the chance I would kill her <laughs> and it's just like then it just like cuts to Bishop with a gun to a baby's head um, but uh, like yeah he is defined by this like horrific stuff he went through as a child and it's like why he fights for the future that he wants, basically. And the just like a little blue dot in the head and then the, the end shot of just like everyone with it is a very good stinger to end on. Yeah. Do we want to talk about Immortal X-Men now? Let's Yana, talk about Immortal Yeah, I'm the, the only one I haven't uh, read out the summary <laughs> so far. So this is Immortal X-Men 14. A despondent and hopeless Xavier protects Krikoa from the exploitation of Shaw, who has given up his mutant power by scaring off invaders with hallucinations of monsters. Exodus Hope, Destiny, and the quarter million inhabitants of Krakoa are in a mysterious desert and Exodus leads them across it. So that's basically, there's, there's two plots happening in this one. Uh, one of them is on Krakoa and the other one is in a mysterious desert. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, where um, Exodus becomes his namesake. Yes. Yeah. 
we get a, a, a fun new direction for Charles Xavier, uh, Depression, um, <laughs> which... He has the sort of shitty, scraggly beard I would have after 10 weeks, so <laughs> I can I can appreciate that representation. Yeah, yeah he looks exactly like Kieran Gillen, yes. uh, but not looking so great. Um. <laughs> it's, this is, this is like... Um, I really enjoyed the, the the like mind reading recap from from Children of the Vault, but like this is brilliant like recap visual storytelling yes. stuff. These opening pages, uh, we just have Charles Xavier with his depression beard, staring, just blank eyed, dead ahead, looking like he's on the verge of tears. This is fantastic we... uh, comic book storytelling, like in the Scott McCloudian sense, is that we see these insert shots and there's like this little, just like this, f- what's, what's this, like a dragonfly? Like a dragonfly, is, is yeah, that, that is like, yeah. moves like a little bit from shot to shot. So we get like exactly like how long he's been thinking about which thing and his face is basically unchanged. Like we we get visual recaps of everything that went on at the Hellfire Gala, like panel by panel, and it's it's clearly weighing on him. <laughs> it's yeah, he is having a bad time, and it rules. Yeah, and and he has given up to a degree. The additional information is that we learned that Destiny told him to protect Mystique. Um. If if something happens at the Hellfire Gala, and you know, we know how that went. Yeah, um, genuinely, like uh, how Destiny has like acted in the run up to the Hellfire Gala is very funny to me. Like it's, and uh, in this flashback thing, the the reaction like, oh, if something happens at the Hellfire Gala, and then he's like, will something happen, Irene? And she's like, I don't know. Why are you asking me? All I, I can don't do is see the future. Anymore. Well, Irene's like 50-50, flip the coin. It's, it's funny how, like, we the readers are, like, better at predicting the future than Destiny at this point. Like, yeah. I don't know, you didn't have to... I guess maybe because she has lost her vision of the future, or because she otherwise relies on that. She's like, wait, like you don't have to be a genius to know that. The, the state... The, the the world currently views mutants like something is going to happen at their big public event. But it's it's again like they don't they haven't trusted her yeah. for a while and she says, like, even if I told you you would would you even believe me? Yeah. Uh, which I think is true. Like it's she she's been in a bad way for the last while, so yeah. it's kinda and like it's she is incredibly manipulative <laughs> for for yes, no one's yes. end but her own, um, uh, which is great. I love her. Um, but uh, you you I I really got the sense from from these opening bits that like I I I believe that like we ended off the Hellfire Gala with Professor X screaming on the beach, and I feel like quite possibly he has not moved in those. 10 weeks from that spot. Yeah. Uh, it's just like telepathically feeding himself psionic energy or something. Yeah. Like. <laughs> um, but then we get into Shaw. 
Yeah, we have the, yeah. the. We learned that the title of this issue is "Sympathy for the Scarlet Witch." Um, which, if Kieran Gillen loves something more than puns, it's classic rock references. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is. It is a good. It is a good title because it really is like this callback to the decimation. It's also, um, yeah, like the the messiah complex stuff starting during the decimation it is very there's it, interesting to see the echoes there sort of like that's my favorite thing about reading all of these different eras of x-men comics is seeing where you know it's like poetry it rhymes you know <laughs> when, when the yeah, stuff sort really of comes happen. back up again um because during the whole decimation there is a very uh it obviously is similar um, in in how many mutants are left on Earth, and you know the sort of survival is all that matters. The rules the rules are out the window. Like we we need to do whatever we have to do to survive. It's also very apocalypse was right back then, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Like Cyclops is fully on. Survival is all that matters. The mutant race needs to survive. And we'll kill people if we have to, and we'll do whatever we have to. And it's also just one last thing is it's very um, X Men Red. If you weren't there, you were somewhere fighting the same fight. Like, yes, the mutants have always been fighting to survive. They have always been like having these horrific things happen to them, and still struggling and continuing on. And that's like. That's obviously the the point of it in X-Men Red is Arako and Krakoa do have this common ground as much as the Arak and Arako people might believe that they're all soft earthlings. They they have always they have this shared history of struggle and war and it's uh it's really cool to, to see those parallels across like a decade of comics. Yeah, absolutely. Or like five decades going back to the stuff in the 70s mm. um uh shaw looks uncomfortably hot in the scene <laughs> where he's like yeah getting, this is the other thing the that uh, i think uh karen gillen said in like a, a recent interview is that what lucas vernick does is he draws all these villains like ridiculously hot like both <laughs> yeah. shaw and uh Celine. it's it is wild to me that that Lucas Werner can can like is is so good at making sure hot like yeah. this is like a, a man that like dressed like a, a a like what late Victorian businessman with mutton chops and a ponytail. Like, yeah, I usually hate mutton chops. Work. And when you see yeah, and when you see Werner's art, you're like, no, of course that's hot. Like it's all it's yeah. all the rage now. <laughs> Yeah, but so Shaw ends up getting his, like, shit-wrecked by his deal with Mother Righteous a little bit, where he, like, didn't make terms, and so he has the <laughs> island, but nothing else. He does not have financial control yeah. over the assets of Krukoa, which is revealed to be what he wanted. Yeah. And also, uh, him taking the cure and saying, I was I was never a mutant, I just had a mutant gene, mm. is so good. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's it's maybe so... the moment that hits the hardest. 
he's he's just a rich asshole. It's it has never been about anything but money for him. Yeah, a ten, uh, ten out of ten Shaw it's moment. Great to see Shaw like become the grand villain of Immortal. Uh, mm. At this point, like I I, I just got to his introduction <laughs> in uh, in Dark Phoenix, so it's uh, you know nasty man. <laughs> It has been like he's been on the council like all this time. Like after after Sinister got pushed off the council, right? Like after he murdered Kate Pride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they just kept him on because he's been like a useful bad guy. Like, see where that gets you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's it's the sort of like um like early Professor X being like Angel's Angel's superpower is actually that he's rich, mm-hmm. yeah, and that he, he can <laughs> like. There's a scene I read recently where it's like the danger room was fucked up, and Professor X is just there, and he's like, "Oh, Angel, I don't know if I have enough money to fix the danger room." <laughs> and Angel is like, oh, "Of course, I'll help you out," you know, even though he's not really an X Men at the time. Yeah, he's like. I think- Warren jo- rejoins the team for a little bit, specifically just to establish that, like, what is paying for all of this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the vibe of where I'm at. Um, He's there for a little bit, though. He sticks around for maybe, like, 20 issues, I feel like. I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering. But he's there but for a while. Yeah, there's, like, that parallel with Emma and Shaw are, like, we we still exist in a capitalist world. We still need money to, like be accepted in the rest of the world and stuff um we and like that's that's why Shaw managed to stick around for so long was because (laughs) we needed the the capitalist yeah yeah it goes back to upholding systems that are archaic you know and like it's we are forced to work within this system in our own reality but they don't necessarily have to within these books, and yet they still the characters still feel compelled to um, in a way that's like satisfying and incredibly grating to read at the same time, where you're just like, you don't have to do this! You don't have to do the capitalism! You don't have to side with the Nazis for compromises, but they keep doing it, and it's like, well, I mean, that's what we see the people in power in our real world that promise to do good by us do over and over again. You know? And that's the way it rhymes with the real world, and not just itself, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that we get like Shaw being like, "I've I've betrayed my countrymen. I've betrayed all of mutant kind. How rich am I?" And then they're like, uh, "You aren't." And then he gets <laughs> just dunked on by Mother Righteous, and then immediately afterwards dunked on by Emma Frost. He literally does a spit take. <laughs> yeah. You show up to get handed your diploma, and it turns out you've been going to clown college the entire time without realizing it. <laughs> Yeah, um, and you're valid valedictorian, and now you have to make a speech. Yeah, and so, uh, also Emma showing up in the the original classic yes. white queen gear just to rub it in that she is still in like Hellfire Gala in control. I of mean, it. speaking of people who look as Warnack draws is incredibly hot. Like, yeah, an incredibly hot, imposing giant woman, yeah. Emma Frost. 
what am I supposed to deal with these emotions? I don't know. <laughs> it's, um, like, her, her doing her, like, psychic projection of, like, her, her giant imposing self and being like, sure, you worm of a man, is, <laughs> is a great, like, entrance to her. Like, Emma is very much, like, on the losing side of all of this. Emma has lost far more than Shaw has. And she is still able to just brutally own him. <laughs> I did it like, for the children, you did it for cents. Yes. Such good stuff. And, uh... Oh, yeah, and, like, um... Revealing officially that Kingpin is the Black King now. The White King. Uh, which is... Or the sorry, white yeah, king. the White King. Iron Man is um, the Black King. Tony yeah. Stark is the Black he, King. He's, he appears to have, like, chameleon guards. I think they're wearing chameleon's mask. They're, like, dudes who... No, I think that's just... This is just what Hellfire Gala guard or yeah, Hellfire this is just what Club guards wear. Oh, wild! People I always thought it was chameleon. Yeah. I've read too much Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, and then Shore is like, my superpower isn't mutant superpower. It's that I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. <laughs> it's time to exploit Krakoa. I love the exploit Krakoa data page. It's so brutal. Like, how to (laughs) squeeze every single inch of, like, like, just, like, dry, like, it's, it's real, like, dark, like, um, environmental, like, what's the name for it? Like, environmental exploitation, basically. Yeah. Um, like, if we... Uh, like, th- th- this is very much not um, respecting the sacred land. No. It, it is it is seeing this as nothing more than a resource, even though it is a living thing. It's giving this sacred land a lobotomy so that we can use it as a factory. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, it's um, just the, the, the we can find, uh, frankly, a death or so a month isn't that bad for a factory. The scale of Krakoa is... It's so such a like good little line at the end there, and I obsess with the way that like you page turn, and then it's like, why haven't we got to stage one? <laughs> um, and also that he's like, we we have to get the external gate. We need. I need to keep Celine happy because yeah. uh, if, if she turns on me, that's gonna be bad. Yeah, Celine here with like a huge brimmed hat, uh, <laughs> yes. large cleavage, um, you know, all in days. all in black. Yeah, uh, and Shaw in like having a great time. slippers, <laughs> slippers and a speedo. Yeah, or like uh, booty shorts or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I've I've been listening to too much Cerebro because now it's like every time I read Celine, I'm just like Celine. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the way Connor does the ad read for whatever he <laughs> does it in Celine's voice, and then like we see they can't access the island because uh, Professor X is uh, giving the soldiers that they send visions of monsters in their heads, um, and Professor X kind of like stands up for the first time and mm-hmm. reacts in a way, and he like he, he has like a half smile. Yeah, the yeah. beard works this time. Like... He's like rugged but hot. It's like like yeah, I drew him like you, but I made him hot here. So <laughs> forgive me, Karen. Again, Lucas Vanek's art 
It it, it doesn't let you down. <laughs> it's also once once again sort of uh, taking no more mutants and making it no more. Yeah, which, which has been a thing in Krakoa, um, and may might have been sort of before as well, but it's definitely been you know the first time we see we see the montage of the the Krako the Genosian genocide and the decimation and Pre Professor Xavier saying no more. And that's when we learn about yeah. uh, resurrection. Yeah, it's, Tra it's Charles really is good. no more at this point is just so sad because, like, you've been the one who, to your knowledge, has sent like hundreds of thousands of mutants into a meat grinder. So it's like the no more is is like, well, I have killed this many, but not a single one more. Like, yeah, his point of radicalization is is a genocide that he committed. Yeah. Which is like not that's off the charts, dog. You you it takes you that much to believe that we can't we shouldn't come to the table with fascists. It it's took like, that much. It's it's not even like no more mutant deaths. It's like no more disrespect yeah. to these mutants who are already dead. Yeah. Like you you can think better than that. You can do better. <laughs> I think it was the the last last time we recorded. You mentioned that like Krakoa like uh, obviously needs needs to like eat mutants to 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 continue going, and like I think if if Marvel Comics was maybe different and uh, uh, was a different kind of thing, like not the like sort of endless story continuity that it is. Like I, I would be placing bets on Professor X staying on this island and like, literally like, dying on it, feeding himself to Krakoa as he like defends this like place. Yeah. Like, he says it's too yeah. late to let go now. I will hold on to this rock as it sinks. Like, the ship has gone down and he's diving down to go down with it. Like. Yeah. It's it's also like I think um, in the Shaw thing they do say that the Krakoa has gone into hibernation because yes. it doesn't have anything to feed on, um, which also when we were talking about it the last time uh, the two mutants a year figure was the like original figure, mm. but as more people were there and Krakoa was able to take a little bit from a quarter of a million mutants. Krakoa was able to grow, so yeah. it was taking more. So I think it's like in shock now a bit that it has to sort of. Um. It it doesn't have that food anymore. Yeah. Story I want to happen from from this point is, uh, Professor X depression era. Um, like right to the point where Krakoa has to eat him. Like. <laughs> that that bleakness is I I want that bleakness. That's not gonna happen. But but the the sort of glimpse of this, like the fact that it could go there, is so compelling. And we're gonna get some of it at least because like we've we have it here. And um in 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 his newsletter, Kieran Gillen said that like this is he originally intended for this to go on for ten issues. <laughs> Uh, which is ten issues I would read. <laughs> <laughs> the big swing I'm coming up with is a Krakoa 
eats Professor X, and then Professor X is able to kind of become Krakoa for a bit. Dark ending. Like, dark, dark, if twisted. We're, if we're putting everything on the, on the page here in the end of this Krakoan era storytelling, like that's yeah. something that maybe we can put out there. Professor X Krakoa is deeply evil to me. <laughs> That's just my MatPat X-Men theory of the week. I, I mean, I, 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 I don't know how much, you know, editorial lets him get away with it, but it seems like Karen Gillan is like, yeah, I'm at my most wicked grim yes, back yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Like, I could see him go for at least some, like, really dark turn or, like, really dark outcome. Like, I think it's gonna get... It's, I think it will still get worse before it gets better. How dark can you get in a Disney comic that has to be sold at Walmart? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty dark, honestly. Like we've seen some dark stuff in the X-Men. Yeah, I mean that's um, that's that's something yeah. that like Hickman and uh I don't know, a lot of the a lot of the authors talked about like during the Krakoa era is that Marvel let them get away with a lot yeah. worse stuff than they expected to. Like they were both kind of pushing they were all kind of pushing it with their pitches, like with uh with coming up with things that they were like, just no way they're gonna let us do it, and uh, and then they were shocked that they that they allowed it. So I think that's something that's really good about the like a lot of these Fall of X books is that um, like especially Children of the Vault and this one, and uh, although we haven't had Fall of X X Men Red yet, like the lead up to X Men Red, they do all feel like pushing it, like, trying to push the envelope of, like, what they can kind of get away with in X-Men comics, and, like, how how weird or, like, dark or different they can they can take the story to. Um, I think we're going to get more, well, I'm certain we're going to get more Charles Depression era. I'm also certain of this because the other half of the Charles Depression era story uh, has Shaw and Celine. And Celine is one of the funniest villains to write, um, which means I think we're going to get, like, bleak as hell Professor X on an island while he is, like, harassed by comic accomplices Celine and Shaw being, like, cartoonishly evil. <laughs> They're going to be Jesse and James blasting off again. They are going to be Jesse and James, absolutely. I, I look forward to it. One one of the pages in the in that like preview article was from there's like a couple of uh, like pages without dialogue and uncolored pages from the next couple of issues and one of them was just uh, Celine just like like Shaw walks into her room and Celine is just like drinking one of the goons' blood it's, and then just like vampire. drops in to talk to her <laughs> like it's really funny looking. Let's talk um, about nowhere, nowhere. Yeah, just before. We just one last thing is the Emma talking to Charles, which I kind of hit on earlier, but like that Charles has just given up and Emma is saying, I'm still trying. I'm still looking uh, like again, she's been through this on Genosha Um Krakoa was kind of a redemption for uh, Genosha to a degree. And like she, those were mutants, but they weren't Professor X's mutants. Yeah. Uh, back then, they were Magnetos and Emma Frosts, and I think again, it's 
interesting that Charles isn't able to have hope. He's he's lost it, and Emma is still willing to say, "I'm I'm getting in touch with people. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I don't believe that they're all dead." Mm. Um, she's willing to keep fighting. He's not. It's also been confirmed that she's joined Tony and Reed's Illuminati hotties in <laughs> Charles's place. Um, but then we flash to nowhere, no when, um, where we see uh, Destiny, Hope, and Exodus all in the desert with the population of Krakoa, and uh, the three of them have a little conversation before um, Exodus. Uh, decides that he has seen this vision before, which is a throwback to uh, Axe Judgment Day, um, where he no, saw I, the Phoenix. Oh yeah, right. Or, yeah, it's Immortal Five, which is that that must be. Yeah, that that's in the during Axe. Axe but... yeah. Um, and he is going to lead them somewhere. He doesn't know where, and he says, or Hope is like, uh, "Why are you doing this?" And he's like, "I have faith." I have faith it's going to work out. Um, and we see uh, our our mutant watch for this issue, which is uh, Kafka, um, who has insect powers in the foreground. Oh. Um, and we see Glob uh, Herman in the background. One of oh, my yeah. absolute favorite it. characters. <laughs> I, I will defend Quentin, but I if I if it's between Glob and Quentin, <laughs> Glob is Glob is Glob is winning. I, there I'm is a hierarchy Glob. to my boys, so, of course. They're saying this is two hundred fifty thousand mutants here. Um, none of them are the five. So, are we to assume yeah, that the they five, the rest of the five went somewhere else? Yeah, like, but was it just the five, or were there other? Like, does anyone remember how many more like named characters we recognize, or like? you know, main characters, main mutants were pushed through gates? Like, if there are any others that were, like, don't know where they landed or is it just the five? I think it's the, like, I think it's it's everyone everyone apart from, like, the X-Men. Anyone we didn't see in, like, Emma's little under basement adventure at the end of the Hellfire Gala, and then I think we're supposed to also assume that, uh, potentially... Sabretooth and the Exiles are out on yeah. Earth somewhere still as well, but otherwise everyone else is is somewhere. I think the only character that's like a huge has been called out as being missing is um Typhoid Mary because of Kingpin yelling her out. I don't her name in in the Hellfire Gala, but we already know that she will be on uh in in uh Realm of X right now. But basically we can assume that not everyone who got pushed through a gate ended up here right yeah this no. is this is Everyone specifically is civilian krakoa basically yeah. these these are not yeah because that's the that's the other thing karen gillen said in the interview where uh he was like so the he, he wasn't at that point he wasn't allowed to actually talk about the content of this like <laughs> last even bit. though they were showing pages from it in the article, which oh, that's is a bit great. funny. <laughs> but, um, but he was like, but I guess so I'm it was not allowed to. The interview. Yeah, was I mean, I guess here. he. Yeah, I guess he conducted the interview before they were allowed to use the pages or whatever. But he was like, the the one thing I'm allowed to say about it is that I've been wanting to tell the story of 
what's going on with the civilians of Krakoa who aren't like these big sexy super powered beings that we all know and love because uh, like they're if Krakoa is meant to be a nation then like most of them aren't the characters we are actually have our stories about so yeah. that's gonna be interesting that's Destiny is here and it? her power is like she's like completely useless here like I think that's interesting too like Destiny is here but she is like physically blind and she can't see anything like in the future so yeah the way her power works is she has to like go into a comatose yeah. like state whenever she like comes back from the dead and she just hasn't done that like it hasn't manifested so she just like can't see clear visions of the future right now it's just like blurry stuff um well, but i was gonna s- at the minute like yeah it's absolutely nothing there is nothing uh, but, but i was gonna say space diving back into the civilian stuff also goes back to what happens in x-men 25 with kate saying to woofer you're an X-Men now, everyone's an X-Men now, and that's what we're finally going to get to see, which is probably the most exciting thing for me as well um, for this this era is to get some some new faces in the crowd and some some ch- a chance for characters um, without the, the, the momentousness behind them to step up. I think that'll be really cool. I think it's, it's also interesting in that interview that he talked about it, this as being an arc about leadership um, and like figuring out what's the yeah that in concert with the like learning about the civilian population is like do they come out of this desert with the new sort of new understanding of what Krakoa is that the council were hope hoping to lead toward well like the dissolution of the council was going to lead towards um and also uh when i read generation hope this week it's very interesting how in that book uh hope is very much a leader and is a forceful leader um and people sort of follow her even if they don't want to uh there's kind of some weird uh she has like slight control over people um and i think it's interesting that in krakoa She's been very reluctant to be a leader. She didn't want to be on the council, but she feels that it's necessary. Um, and she doesn't she's like... taking a back step to Exodus in the same way. Well, I was going to say, like, she doesn't um, want to be seen as a leader, but she understands that people do. And I think that's part of what's going on here is Hope, Hope and Exodus both being uh, leaders and maybe destiny learning about what it means to lead people without just like telling them random shit about the future and like firing them off like a bullet (laughs) and like actually caring about these people in which i think destiny does care but she also sees people as pieces to move um because she believes that in the long term it'll work out better for them yeah i Uh, mean Destiny really cares about, like, Mystique, and that's about it. (laughs) Like, everything else is a means to keep Mystique alive. That's sort of what we see in, like, the Sins of Sinister timeline. Like, everything else can be, like, again, similar to, like, uh, Emma's villainous impulses being, like, anything is justified for the children. Like, 
for destiny, anything is justified for Mystique. That's exactly what they're arguing about at the beginning of the Hellfire Gala when they go through the portals. It's like that end of that argument that started in um, Immortal and like Destiny is probably just still trying to keep Mystique alive here and now she has to deal with the fact that Mystique is dead. Unless, uh, this is my bad fan theory, mm-hmm. that uh, uh, Shaw's assistant is Mystique. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be... It's 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 mid. It's a it's like oh got him, but it's not a great got him. You know, I think there's, um, there's potential. It's got potential. Yeah, it's plus of that character more. If you, yeah. I feel like if you have told it, just... if you have told it, that will be will be a, a great reveal when it happens. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to get one called it at some point during this podcast. That's why I keep throwing them out there. Um, the thing is, I feel like as soon as Shaw leaves, loses his powers, Mystique just stabs him in the face immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think she yeah. sees a need to let yeah, him you're, live. You're so right. Um, the thing, the reason I didn't have as much comics time this week is because I read you cut out there for the a bit. book of Exodus. Oh, okay. Can you guys yeah. hear me again? Yes. Okay, so the reason I didn't have as much comic time this week is because I read the book of Exodus. Oh my god. The Bible? From the Bible? <laughs> From the Bible. Yeah. Oh, so this is something I was going to bring up. You you, you also, well, like, I, I assume you probably knew already, but but you know how the book of Exodus sort of ends for, for, for Moses, the figure that Exodus is placing yes. himself as. Yeah, so what I was I was going to get into is, uh, the reason I read Exodus is because I thought that, uh, like, this the speech that Exodus is making, I thought that was a one-to-one, like, we are lifting here Mm. from what Moses said to the Israelites in the desert. Um, In the Bible, it's not, but I thought that, and I thought I was being a big brain genius by finding it, and that's why I was just like, (laughs) gotta check. Um, But, uh, so we know what's gonna happen next, is they're gonna be in the desert forever, there's gonna be manna that falls from the sky, which is just, like, the bread that the um, hobbits eat in Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Um, and there will be stone tablets at one point, um, and then Exodus will not be able to enter the promised land. He'll be stuck outside of it, along with probably Hope, who's, who's kind of Moses's Aaron in the story right now, but she might be the Moses and Exodus might be the Aaron. Uh, missed that last bit, I think. Oh, I said, uh, Hope is kind of being posited as the Aaron who is Moses's younger brother mm. um in the story right now Aaron doesn't have much of a character in the bible uh but uh like Exodus could be that character as well I don't think it's that one to one though having read the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I do think at least the fact that like uh in in Exodus Moses does not make it to the promised land like he very much does not make it to the promised land is yeah. something that we will we we might see uh picked up on and paralleled with um in in as 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 this like arc uh reaches its conclusion uh, especially yeah, that feels Exodus... like almost too like it, it feels like it would be something that Kieran Gillen wouldn't miss out on because it's such an important like piece of mythology not just on the essential on the central like exodus book but also like in a ton of like similar creation myths it is like mm. uh or like not creation myths but like i guess 
Exodus myths, I don't know how you call it. Like yeah. in Hungarian uh, folk lore, there's also the story of like how they like had their own exodus of like going into the Car- Carpathes, Carpaths. What's what's those mountains called in English? I don't know. Carpathia, yeah, on the Carpathian uh, mountains, yeah. right? And there as well, like their Moses figure also didn't make it, and his son uh, arrived there. So this is this is very much like in several folk mythologies. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good beat. Um, the other thing is, I think this also uh, one of the things Kieran Gillen has said that he loves doing is sort of uh, giving, like, fulfilling a character's wish and having it be just awful for them, <laughs> um, which is what we see in Sins of Sinister. It's what we see in this issue with Shaw. Yeah, and I suspect it's something we might see with Exodus. <laughs> Yeah. Um there's also uh the the Phoenix uh the Phoenix of it all. Oh yes. Uh, uh, Phoenix which, theory time. Fire away. I mean, I don't have much of a theory. It's just uh in Immortal 5 uh Exodus has the vision or he has a flashback to when he was crossing the desert, you know, a thousand years ago. Uh, before he met Apocalypse and he had a vision of the Phoenix, which he, I actually, when I said it in our like chat, I didn't realize that he literally says, I have seen this in a vision long, long ago yeah. in this issue. <laughs> so yeah, he is very much saying he believes, which the, the Phoenix might be metaphorical to him um, within that as well. Uh, and also in Defenders Beyond, uh written by Al Ewing, who loves to do shit like this, um, and also works with worked with Kieran Gillen on Avengers X or Axe, and you know, they obviously work together. Um when America Chavez is in the White Hot Room, she sees it as a desert, and at the time she's wearing the Eternity Mask, which is a thing that makes you the equal to whoever, whoever you're fighting. So which I think gives her a very direct link to the Phoenix in that moment. Whereas, uh, like other people are seeing other things like Loki sees the white hot room as a freezing tundra, which fits because he's frost giant. Um, Tigra sees it as a dark cave with a, a campfire. Um, which again is linked to how she, uh, is, is linked to the tiger God, which is like the darkness equivalent of the Phoenix. Yeah. Um, Defenders Beyond Rules so, just uh, <laughs> yeah it's so fucking good it's, check um, it out if you enjoy Ali Wing just going wild with like cosmic Marvel stuff that's, that's where Blue Marvel sees it in, in Defenders Beyond mm. He sees it as that, as the construction site with the the construction worker who he's like, is that, is that death? <laughs> and the Phoenix Force is like, might be, you don't know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to wrap up in like 10-ish minutes. So do you have any closing thoughts That's on cool. Mortal? I have one more Phoenix related thing. Um, all of Destiny's visions since uh, Fall of X has happened in Immortal uh, have been nothing but blank white space, which 
um, is is uh, two ways that um, I'm thinking about this. One, white hot room, Phoenix stuff. Um, two, uh, the one of the ways that in uh, comic books and specifically something that Kieran Gillen has done before is to represent the blank page as so a blank comic book page just a blank white page as a vision of a future where anything can happen um uh and the idea of like sort of creating a new Krakoa and destiny no longer seeing the future but just seeing a white space on that level um i i, I think of it in terms of like there is nothing destiny has control over, but like the future is is open in some way. I really like that. Yeah, that makes sense to me as well. Do we want to do quickly because I, like quickly just what we're excited about next week? Because we will be covering yeah, a ton, a whole shit ton of stuff. Probably very quickly. I'm going to read all the titles: X Men Red fourteen. Invincible Iron Man Annual, which we'll probably skip most of. Uncanny Avengers 1, Dark X-Men 1, Alpha Flight 1, which we might breeze through. Marvel Voices X-Men, which we'll probably breeze through. X-Forces 43, which we will potentially breeze through, (laughs) but I just looked at the advertisement for it, and I don't think we can. Um, Deadpool 10, probably won't go over it much at all. (laughs) Okay, Uh, not not covering. Invincible Iron Man 9. Is that the the wedding? Like, if it's the wedding, we'll have to talk about If not... Wedding's 11. Okay, Uh, we're good. Yeah. Uh, Realm of X one. Oh, I have to talk Jean about Grey that. One. I'm excited for Jean Grey. Um, I'm excited for Realm and Dark. Yes, Those are the two I'm the most excited for. I, I've looked at the preview for both Dark X-Men and Uncanny Avengers preview pages looked really unique and good, like, art-wise. Like, yes. I, what, what I've seen from the art, it was very different from like the standard comic book art that we usually have and it was intriguing so i'm very excited for those i don't care about the alpha flight like I, it's probably gonna be the that's the least interesting out of these uh, i only read the preview for realm um which is like it's it looks interesting i just finished the new mutants special graphic novel where they go to uh what is it called uh the norse realms and danny obviously has a connection there because she used to be a valkyrie um and they've revealed that uh magic still doesn't have her powers and curse is in it who's one of my favorite new characters of this era so i'm I'm she's cool that i think we basically said Um, we're excited for almost everything other than alpha flight because X-Men Red is the yeah. other one we have, which we're always excited <laughs> for. So. X- yeah. yeah. I also, I think we might not need to talk about the Invincible Iron Man annual, because I think it's part of that, like, Contest of Chaos thing, which is, oh, like, a the other crack of the Darkness yeah, is no, doing some stuff, so... Um, yeah, and the yeah. voices are probably all one-offs, uh, so we'll skip most oh, yeah, of that yeah, unless yeah. it's incredible. Like, we'll talk about it, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, my, my top two, X-Men Red, of course, uh, the Genesis War kicks off, presumably, and I'm very excited for that. Uh, Dark X-Men has a very fun premise to me. 
um, Madeline Pryor's Limbo Embassy and like her like ragtag X Men team. That's is, the T Fox uh, one, right? Yes. Like I, yeah. I feel like his like from what uh, he he wrote the one annual last year. It was pretty good. So. Hell yeah! I think there's p- potential in that one. Uh, yeah, that's. Is that is that okay? Everyone is that all of our thoughts yeah, on the, what's I, coming up? I hope you all are fine with our episodes going long. Uh, I personally like the listeners. I mean, yeah, there there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> we couldn't have helped it. Yeah, I mean, I, I love doing long episodes when I'm not the one editing. So, <laughs> like, I'm not opposed to this. Do we want to? Yeah. Do we want to do, uh, if anyone has, like, a thing they want to shout I out, have. like a book or a podcast, whatever their recommendation for the week is, um, and then we'll just do the outro. I have a quick um, recommendation. Well, I have a two-part recommendation, just a follow-up on my recommendation from two episodes ago, which was Sweet Tooth. I have finished it. It ends up on a beautiful final issue. It's highly recommended to read the whole thing. Um... And my new recommendation is an ongoing comic uh, that started last year. Uh, it's called Kaya, uh, written and drawn by Wes Craig. Um, it's it's just a really it's like a fantasy adventure comic about this um, odd couple of siblings. One of them like a fighter girl, the older one, and the oh, younger I love one the art. is like I just a, looked up the cover. Oh yeah, it's yeah, I've seen if you've read uh, Rick Remender's uh, Deadly Class, like that was it's the same artist. Yeah. Oh yeah, that art rocked. Um and yeah, this is this is his first comic that he draws and writes himself. He said he had like the idea stewing in his head, like for years he waited for Deadly Class to finish so he can like focus all his energies and from what it's like I've I've read the first arc. Uh, and the second arc is currently happening, and it's it seems like something. And it was it was received well, so I think it's gonna go on for a long time. I think it's gonna get a lot of issues because it's this, it's the type of fantasy that like Austin Walker described as post post apocalypse, where it's like oh hell yeah, in a world where like humans are like a minority, like there's a cup, there's a few of them, and that you get the idea that they were at one point like the dominant power but now there's like monsters everywhere and it's like this really like weird but fun like fantasy world like it is very it's very fun it's very dynamic the art like it's uh it's like cartoony and dynamic and you know the colors are beautiful and everything so if if you want to read like a fun uh kind of all ages fantasy adventure it's uh it's very good um my recommendation is also a fun all ages fantasy adventure. Uh, it's Nimona, the film or the graphic novel. Um, it's I just I I've loved it since I've read it, and I think it's great. Cool. Um, my recommendation is Do a Powerbomb by Daniel Warren Johnson, which is like a very nice, fast, compact, like seven issue complete story about pro wrestling. Um, it's like his thing. He has like a thing at the back of the first issue where he's like, oh yeah, I was like minding my newborn baby 
And so I was just like flicking through the channels and I found uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling on on TV and I knew some friends had told me about it and I just like fell in love with it. Um, after watching Kota Ibushi versus Tomohiro Ishii 2018, which is, you know, I, it's, it's a great like. Um, and I think it's made with a lot of love for pro wrestling, which is a thing I like a lot as well. Um, and feels like nasty and like visceral um, and has a really cool story. Like there's, I kind of don't want to do too much of the setup because I think there's like twists in the first couple of issues that actually like really hit for me in a way that twists kind of don't that much. Um, but it's really great and the art is fantastic. Uh, he like draws and does the art and there's like bits of it that look like the best sort of pro wrestling photography where it's just capturing this motion perfectly. Um, he sp specifically calls out the 2018 match that uh, Ibushi does a moonsault off the balcony and there is a, a panel of someone doing like a moonsault that turns into a DDT off a balcony and it just looks incredible. And it's also like, oh yeah, man, you're just drawing Cork and Hall, which is where like all the New Japan big events happen. Um, and it's really great. There's a lot of like little references to wrestlers and stuff as well. Yeah, seeing and um, seeing an Ibushi match as like your intro to wrestling is gonna is gonna set you up to like really high expectations that like Yeah. It's like uh Ibushi is like a sculpted, like perfect man <laughs> and Ishii is a little brick yeah. who like just takes beatings. And both of them are willing to die in the ring, and they're great. Uh, it's like <laughs> a perfect uh, introduction, especially to New Japan, I think. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really great. And like I said, just seven issues, and it's done, and it tells a very nice, complete story. Really liked it. Um, um, and then my recommendations for the week is two podcasts um, that I've been listening to is... Uh... It's called Sicko and Ebert. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. Um, I It's maybe the one Janos pod I hadn't dived into yet. And so I listened to some of it this week. Uh, and the Encino Man episode, which is like the Out of the Gate one's really good. And the Son of Law episode, which is a movie my family watches every year on Thanksgiving. That's wild. <laughs> Incredible podcast. <laughs> um, and then my, my book rec is uh, I have been reading two uh, books to help tell better stories with visual storytelling um frame dink by marcos Matau mestre i'm kind of I'm probably saying that last name a little wrong and uh frame perspective volume one also by marcos mateo Mesh mestro um and those are my recommendations does anyone have any social media they want to shout out that they're on <laughs> No. Yeah. <laughs> walk into the woods. Yeah. Have a nice walk. That's the social media I recommend. Yeah, that's a good oh, one. Yeah. So we have been Nick, Janos, Holly, and Kiwi. Our uh, intro and outro music is uh, from various X-Men properties and uh, Welcome to My Island by Caroline Polachek. Uh Please don't report us. <laughs> um don't don't tell don't tell 
Caroline unless she's like a big X-Men fan and wants to come on the show. <laughs> yeah, she can come on anytime she wants. <laughs> don't don't um, tell her until unless she's cool. And uh, often when X-Men depart, they will say resist. 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 <laughs> <laughs> slide by one to intercept bishop the complacency of fools will destroy them proverbs and so i'm gonna cut it together so it says good episode productions <laughs> but i haven't been able to find it yet <laughs> destroy bishop and your mission is accomplished get out of my house exodus 